It's not often that I quote um, any poetry, um, and the main reason for that is usually that I can't. I don't really know very much anyway. But as I was uh, looking this week at the um, letter to uh, the church in Laodicea, I was reminded that a poet by the name of Burns, I believe, um, wrote in To a Louse, or oh, what some power the gifty gears to see ourselves as others see us. And he's got a point there. It's very wise words. If we could see ourselves as others see us, that's uh, much to our advantage. There's, there's folks that kind of go blissfully uh, along through life, seemingly unaware of the impact that they, they have on others. And you think, oh, just if you could get a grip of it. But what, what's going on here in Revelation 2 and 3 is much, much better than that. It's not just a vague, oh, would some power, whatever that power might be. This is Jesus himself, the Lord. And he's giving the church not just the opportunity to see itself as others see it, but he's giving the church the opportunity to see itself as he sees it. That's what's been given to the seven churches lettered in Revelation 2 and 3. And by extension, it's given to other churches because the issues, the challenges, the features in these seven different churches are very much still part and parcel of church life. As I said, it's unfortunate that some people go through life unaware of or unconcerned about their impact on others. Um, What's much worse is that many people go through life indifferent to what Jesus thinks about them. And that's all the more serious because, verse 14 of our passage, he's the ruler of creation. That's all the more serious because, verse 21, he is the one who sits on the throne, the one who will judge the world. Wouldn't it be useful to know before that day of judgment where we stand? Wouldn't it be useful to know what we might do about that now? That is one of the things that the gospel offers. And as Jesus says in verse 22, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now the church in Laodicea was in particular need of getting this report card from Jesus because they they were a church with a rather inflated opinion of themselves. Quite possibly the only good thing about the church in Laodicea was um, what they thought about themselves. Um, And they were wrong. Jesus was not impressed, verse 15. And their complacency reflected the attitude of the city around them. Laodicea was a thriving place that had grown up on a major trade route. And amongst other things... Uh, one, it was, a, it was a valued financial center. Two, it had a great reputation for, for medicine, particularly for the treatment of eyes. And, and three, it had great reputation for, for the clothes, the cloths that it made. Just, I suppose, as people today might talk about Harris Tweed. You know, people in those days talked about Laodicean wool, you know. What is that? Is that, is that Laodicean wool that you're wearing? Very nice. That, that, was, that was the kind of reputation that it, that it had. It was successful and doing well. 
And that spirit of self-sufficiency, that spirit of, we're fine, had infiltrated the church. It was a church that almost didn't seem to need a saviour. They were doing better than others. Perhaps the church had more members. Perhaps it had more and better organizations. Perhaps it put on better concerts. Perhaps it had more buses for the Sunday school trip. Um, perhaps at their coffee morning there was more and better home baking. You know, who knows? You know, somebody turns up and visits and, and uh, you know, the person from Laodicean church says, oh, this is a great church. But Jesus didn't see it that way. Verse 16, he was about to spit them out of his mouth. Jesus contradicted the estimate they had of themselves, and in doing so, he referred back to these three things that that I mentioned Laodicea being famous for. They thought, verse 17, that they were rich, and materially speaking, they were, but in terms of the riches that last, in terms of the riches that Jesus spoke about, Jesus says in verse 17, they're poor. It was Jesus who had said and recorded for us in Matthew's gospel, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That life of faith, obedience to to Jesus lived out in the world Challenging society's self-interest and self-sufficiency. Challenging that uh, ways of the world and living a life of sacrificial servanthood, of following Jesus. That's what Jesus sought, and that's what he meant by treasures in heaven. And he wasn't getting it from the Laodiceans. They were the ultimate, I'm all right, Jacks. Now, today's church in the Western world, and I was mentioning something of this last Sunday... The church in the Western world is only slowly coming to realize that the kind of nominalism that has characterized much of our Christianity for a long time is not at all what Jesus wanted or intended. A big, respected, keep things rolling along church that was the default position of large denominations such as the Church of Scotland was not necessarily what Jesus had called into being. Jesus said if anyone wants to follow him, anyone wants to follow him at all, they have to daily take up their cross and follow him. And somehow we got from that to to a system of membership where um, people could come to communion once a year and hand in their card, and that was was sufficient to stay a member. How How did that happen? How did we get from... You want to follow me? Okay. Take up your cross each day and follow. How did we get from that to, as long as you hand that card in once a year, you're still a member? I think we got to that by largely ignoring or forgetting what Jesus said. And that's one of the reasons that we're commending this reading of Luke's gospel during Advent. Because how, how would it be possible to remember what Jesus said and think about what Jesus said and then think once or a few times a year and handing in a card what Jesus was talking about? 
financial giving. Now, I have reservations about simply applying the Old Testament tithe principle to churches today, but it does offer a helpful guide. And doing some quick arithmetic on Clement's financial reports this week, I worked out that if we were giving with that kind of faithfulness and seriousness, then the average income of someone at Clermont is £2,500 a year. Now, I don't think any of you are living on that. It shows that we've not taken giving seriously. How little attention churches in the West have paid to sharing faith, to speaking about Jesus, to discipleship, and so on. And surely it's a sign of our self-sufficiency, or we can do this on our own, that, for instance, the prayer meetings and churches up and down the land are so badly supported. Poor giving and difference to worship, almost zero discipleship. We don't, with any urgency, pray, give us each day our daily bread because we know we can get it in Tesco's anyway. We're fine. But Jesus says such a church that is just getting along, such a church that is not taking these, these gospel things seriously, is a church that is lukewarm and deserves to be spat out. Verse 16. And as well as saying that they were rich, but in fact being poor because they were not taking on these gospel opportunities and gospel blessings, they were also, he says, naked. Now, like the folk in Laodicea, we have plenty clothes. We have clothes for all weathers, all seasons, all occasions. And even though we have plenty, we go out and buy more. I'm only one month away from completing my um, fasting of clothes for 2019, Apart from a couple of small things gifted, not asked for, gifted, um, I've managed to go through the year without buying any new ones. Maybe some folks should try it. Or maybe I should try it with stuff that would be more of a challenge to me. I find it quite easy to go through a, uh, a year without buying any clothes. In fact, I'm thinking of doing it for 2020 as well. To go through a whole year without buying a book. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's, that's a whole different thing. whole different but principles there, we, we don't need to keep on just doing what the world does and what the world tells us. This is what's getting Laodicea into trouble. This is why they were naked, as it were. Now, what does Jesus mean by saying the complacent, the nominal church is naked? Well, in many places, the New Testament speaks about putting on Jesus as someone put on a set of clothes. It means to clothe ourselves, as it were, with a Jesus way of life. It is to put on righteousness and joy, being a peacemaker, wanting the best for others, patience, understanding, honesty, being merciful. These many, many qualities that we see in Jesus. Again, read Luke with us this Advent and they'll come rising to our attention. And we need reminding repeatedly and regularly of how Jesus lived and how he calls us to live. Because good intentions leak. If we are not calling to mind on a regular basis what is involved in following Jesus, what it's like to be a Jesus follower, we forget to put on our Jesus clothes, as it were. And so, like the Laodiceans, we become naked. Now, when I dress in the mornings, and this may come as a surprise to some of you, when I dress in the mornings, my clothes don't just put themselves on me. I've got to deliberately choose 
decide and act. There may even there may even have been some preparatory steps needed. Check the night before, do I have a clean one of those? Some ironing to do, you know the kind of thing. It doesn't just happen, does it? So why would we expect to be clothed with Jesus to just happen? Why should that just happen? You see, unless we're reading the Gospels and unless we're saying, what do we have to do with this? What do we have to do about this? What, what does that impact on my life? Then, <clears throat> in spiritual terms, we're walking down the street naked. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know, you see it and enjoy Your dress is all about the wrong thing. And so they were, verse 18, bringing shame on Jesus by not being dressed in Christ's clothes. And then thirdly, they were blind. And as with the riches and as with the clothing, the blindness was not a reference to surface, material, physical condition, but the underlying spiritual reality. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about their being blind. And in fact, he tells them he thinks they're blind. He says, he says so five times between verses 16 and 26 of the chapter. Well, of course, these Pharisees could see, but they couldn't see the realities of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was meaning. Their values and priorities were not shaped by Jesus and by the kingdom. They simply just didn't get it. They couldn't see who was amongst them. And similarly, the church in Laodicea couldn't see beyond the surface, the programs, the events, or whatever they were doing. They did not see that they of themselves were not good enough, but needed a savior. They could not see how they should be serving others in Jesus' name. They could not see that they would not be able to take their material wealth with them when they died. They could not see the kind of lifestyle that Jesus was calling for. They couldn't see that their own ideas were wrong. They could not see that they'd got their priorities wrong and were investing their lives in wrong things. They could not see that you just simply cannot be a lukewarm Christian. It's a nonsense, a contradiction in terms. And they would have seen that if they'd read the Gospels, if they'd followed Jesus but instead they were choosing blindness. So it's a fairly bleak scenario. There's a people who, yeah, the church has been part and parcel of life and they've made a good go in the surface stuff, but they've, 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 they've been investing in the wrong things. They, they think they're rich, but they're poor. They, they, they think they're well-clothed, but they're naked spiritually. They, they think that they see things, but in fact they're blind. It's terrible. The church in Laodicea is no longer there. And the established denominations of the church in the West who have suffered from the same sense of complacency and self-sufficiency, they're in serious decline, perhaps even terminal decline. But yet, look again at the passage. There's good news. There is good news. Verse 19, Jesus still loves the church. Even the spiritually poor, even the naked and the unseeing, Jesus says, I still love you. There is still time to repent, time to turn things around. That's why he's spoken to them. 
And there is still time today for anyone whose Christian faith is at best surface deep. For anyone who thinks that all things in moderation applies to following Jesus. For anyone who thinks that a little bit of Jesus is enough. There's time to change that. Before on judgment day it's too late. And you're spat out of his mouth. Today, Jesus still loves you and wants you to change and repent. Jesus, verse 20, still wants our fellowship. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Jesus still wants us to be friends. What a friend we have in Jesus, we sometimes sing. Well, is that right? Is he a friend? He wants to be. You know, there are people who... I wouldn't be sure that they'd want my friendship. Um, I think when he's been interviewed on television, Andy Murray comes across as a nice guy. Um, Not so much when he's lost a point when he's playing, but, you know, in in interviews, he comes across as a really nice guy. So maybe I should write him a letter. Dear Andy, can I be your friend? Gordon. Why would he bother? There'd be advantages in it for me. Any tickets for Wimbledon? <laughs> Tell us some inside stories of what goes on in the locker room, you know. Well, it's not because he's not a nice guy or anything. He's just, come on. Maybe I should write to Prince Andrew. He could do with friends. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, you can't just say of anybody, oh, you'd be my mate, you'd be my Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus, who's greater than all of these guys, says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, that, okay, you might have been indifferent. Okay, you might have been a lukewarm Christian. Okay, you've maybe not done, done enough. Okay, you've not been enthusiastic about serving me. Okay, you've not been everything that I've called you to be. But one, I still love you, verse 19. And two, I still want to be your friend. Come in. I'll come in. You invite me in and I'll be there. You tell me when and when to show up and I'll be there, says Jesus. And then he says, verse 21, on top of that, come along and it's a place of honor. You will share in my throne. Sharing in the fullness of God's kingdom, being part of the perfect reign of God above. Advent is a time of waiting, a time of reflecting. A time for us to ask ourselves about where we are with respect to following Jesus. Is there a question about, have I been good? It's not a question about have I not been rocking any boats. But it's a question about have I invited in and am I living with Jesus according to his ways? Am I investing in riches in his terms, not mine? Am I clothing myself with the ways of Christ rather than doing what society or what I think is right? Am I seeing the priorities of the kingdom of God rather than what suits Gordon Palmer? And we should be shaped not by the lukewarm traditions of a denomination that has put us in this place of what I think is terminal decline. We should be shaped not by the lukewarm traditions of a Western church that is now seen to be falling seriously short. And we should not be shaped by the casual, complacent, materialistic society around us. Advent and Christmas is actually a good time to put 
all these things to the test. To read Luke with us. To look again who comes in the birth of that child at Bethlehem. And to look too at how after his teachings, his miracles, after his serving, after his death and his resurrection, that ascended and reigning Jesus Christ in verses 19 to 21 of Revelation 3 offers and invites, I love you. I want to be with you. I have a place of glory and honor for you. Verse 22. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray.